1: Welcome to the Oil Spills Podcast. I'm the host, Craig Ellingson. I'm with Hockey Hall of Fame writer, Jim Matheson. We're talking the day of, uh, the orders are in San Jose tonight, so it's November 12th, it's Tuesday, and they'll be coming home for a couple of days, and then they're on a long road trip, almost for the rest of the month, uh, but the orders are playing a bunch of Pacific Division opponents, and they already have. I mean, they, they beat Anaheim on Sunday, they're playing San Jose tonight. But we have a slew of uh, Pacific division dates coming up. We've, you know, the Oilers played a lot of Eastern Conference teams uh, to start the year. And, you know, you look at the Western Conference and the Pacific standings and it's very close. You know, all the teams, I think from first place, which the Oilers are all the way down to say sixth, there's only a few points separating everybody. But I imagine we're going to see some more separation perhaps once some of these Pacific Division rivals play each other more often by December.
0: Well, it's funny. The orders have always had a, a good record against the division they're in. It's just they haven't won games against the Central Division. They don't, they have not done well against the Central. But they've they've been pretty good against the Pacific. And they, you know, they started the season with a win over Vancouver. Then they beat Los Angeles. They lost an overtime game to uh, Arizona. Then beat uh, Anaheim the other night. So, um, uh, they're playing well uh, against the teams they have to play because you know, as long as they keep those teams in the rearview mirror uh, in the Pacific Division, that's what they want to do. And so far, uh, they're doing that. And they played a raft of games against the Eastern Conference teams um, in the New York area um, and got those ones out of the way. So those trips are out of the way. And you're right, uh, after San Jose, they come home for. For Colorado and and Dallas, two Central Division teams, and then they go on the road again, and then play San Jose. I'm not sure why you have a schedule when you you have San Jose one Tuesday and then San Jose again the following Tuesday. It makes no sense whatsoever why you couldn't just play Tuesday, Thursday in San Jose and get the two games out of the way. Why you have to go all the way back there.
1: Yeah. I was uh, going to ask about that. That's pretty, that's unusual. It's kind
0: of it's ridiculous because they start to, on the next the long trip, they start in San Jose, then they go to Los Angeles then they go to Las Vegas, then Arizona and then wind it up in, in Colorado against the central division team. So, um, yeah, they're getting a lot of the road games out of the way. Uh, which is good, and their road record's pretty good, uh, and their home record is is equally as good. And I I think the key is they started five and nothing. They started seven and one, and then the wheels didn't fall off, but they got a little wobbly there for a while. and they've they've managed this season to, you know, at least get points if they don't win the game in a lot of cases. Uh, they didn't play very well against St. Louis, you know, in a in measuring stick game. I didn't think anyway. I know it was 3-2 two, and two empty netters, but I don't think they, I think St. Louis certainly was the better team. Uh, and they didn't play great against Arizona, but then they come back and they beat New Jersey and and uh, easily beat uh, Anaheim, winning both games by four goals. So um, they better jump on San Jose. Everybody else is jumping on San Jose right now. Um, might be the year where San Jose, the bottom falls out of San Jose after so many.
1: Well, San Jose, you know, obviously they're near the bottom of the league and then obviously the division, but, uh, even so they've won their last three games. Um, of course they have, you know, they're a veteran team. They have, you know, some changes, no, jo- no more Joe Pavelski there, uh, their captain and, you know, I guess you'd call him their spiritual leader in some ways. Poor but, goaltending. But yeah, the goaltending, obviously Martin Jones is, you know, Aaron Dell's been starting all the games. Martin Jones hasn't been. Uh, the reliable goaltending. They haven't been getting the goaltending.
0: And yet Jones plays well in the playoffs. Hmm. When they get to the playoffs, they go to Jones, and Jones plays well. So it's like the regular season. you can't can't get in a rhythm where he plays well. So again, San Jose is nowhere near the team they used to be. Uh, Doug Wilson is one of the best GMs in the league. I think if he had it to do over again, I'm not so sure he would have signed... Eric Carlson to that long contract and he'd have kept Joe Pavelski. Um, He got locked into. he's got, you know, 30 million spent on three defensemen, Burns, Vlasic, and, and Carlson a 30 million out of, you know, an $80 million cap hit and he let their captain Pavelski go who kind of dove the bus there and they haven't been able to replace Joe. So, hindsight is, you know, I know I did it because Carlson is younger than than Pavelski who's in his mid thirties, but Pavelski still drove the bus there and they haven't been able to replace him.
1: Well, does it just take some time for uh, things to gel in San Jose or are they in a, uh, you know, the, the spot they're in, obviously they're an older team. Um, you talk about Vlasic, Burns, uh, you know, Carlson's younger, but, you know, Joe Thornton's a 40 year old, he's one of the oldest players in the league next to Chara. Logan Couture is no spring chicken either. They're, it's a team in transition, and I guess it depends on who's coming up and how they you're never, able to put people to roles. They never
0: rebuilt. No, as you know, as as Doug Wilson has always said, we change on the fly, change the tires while they're yeah, still we, we, we driving at a we don't high speed. Rebuild. Yeah, and and they've always been able to to do that. Um, and certainly, Logan Couture is a very good choice to be captain with Pavelski gone. He's still a really good player. Uh, but it's an older team. I, and last year, they counted on Meyer and and Hurdle, uh, two of their younger players, a great deal, and they were very, very good. Uh, and Meyer hasn't been as good this year. So, like, like the Oilers are going are, are playing a t- San Jose team now that that has had trouble getting out of the hole, the early season hole they were in. And I, you know, they always say. You know, hockey players, oh, it's a long season. I can, I can remember the owners saying that many years when they started slow. Out. It's only 20 games in. we got 60 games to go. But once you dig yourself a hole in hockey, uh, it's difficult because you're already three, four, five games under 500. you got to fight like hell just to get back to 500. And then 500 is not making the playoffs. Ten games over 500 is making the playoffs. So I wouldn't count San Jose out because they've, they've managed to – dig their way out of holes other than this, and all of a sudden they, they'll go 12 games and only lose two and they'll be right back in it. But this is a prime opportunity for the Oilers to play a team. San Jose, it's not planned very well.
1: Because, you know, it, I remember from the players were talking, uh, it had to be at least a couple of weeks ago, But whether it was Tippett or whether it was uh, players talking about it, they they know they don't want to when when they lose, they don't want the losing streak to go very long. They want to get back into the win column. Like you said, get points at the very least, go to overtime, shootout. So at least you're getting points from losses. I mean, that's not the MO of the orders the previous two seasons, obviously, or even before the playoff year. That's not what we're used to seeing.
0: I can only count of two games this year where I thought They played very poorly against Florida at home and lost. I thought they played very poorly in Minnesota and lost 3-0. I thought they got schooled by St. Louis and lost by three goals. But we're 19 games in. That's three games out of 19. That's pretty good. You know, when they do lose, it's close. Uh, And they've been able to uh, stay in a lot of games because the goaltending keeps them in the games. They're not, you know, in past years, they'd be down two goals very quickly in a game sometimes, and they just couldn't get back into the game, and they'd lose, you know, 4-2 or 5-3 or something. So this year, the goaltending is keeping them in the games. And I think it'll be interesting against San Jose. I know coaches don't like to change the lineup, but I think uh, Nygaard is ready to play, the Swedish winger who's had rib issues. He gives a little bit more speed, and I would... I'd be interested to see if they take him out, take Granlund out and put uh, Nygaard in. I think they could use his speed uh, back in the lineup.
1: You know, I think about Adam Larson's injury, obviously that came in uh, at the start of the season and he's out until sometime next month, I would think.
0: He's back in a week.
1: Is he back in a week? I thought it was December. Back in a week. You know, I think about a broken ankle, I mean, without knowing the severity of the break itself, but... But they haven't had him in the lineup for more than a month. Um, I think back to last year, you know, at this time, Todd McClellan was still the coach. Uh, things had were starting to fall apart. But, you know, and then Hitchcock took over and the Oilers went on a bit of a run there until mid December when Oscar Kleffbaum got injured. And that's, and, they, and all of a sudden the injuries became an issue. The Oilers have been performing very well, even without Adam Larson. I don't know if there's really. A lot of parallels there between the Larson injury and the cleft bomb injury. But Dude,
0: it's, there is not quite the same because cleft bomb is on the power play and the penalty kill, mm-hmm. whereas Larson is not on the power play. So missing cleft bomb's minutes, he played, you know, he would be playing three, four minutes a game more than, than Adam Larson. And when, when Adam comes back, I think they've missed his. A- abrasiveness on the back end. Uh, he'll be back in the top four. I think he'll be back playing with Oscar Kleffbaum. I think they'll keep Ethan Bear and Darnell Nurse together. And it will keep Benning and, and uh, you know, on the third pair with Chris Russell. And then, you know, the rookie Person and Manning will be the seventh and eighth. And I wouldn't surprise me one bit if they if they decided to send Person to the minors for a couple of weeks just to play five games and kept Manning as a seventh defenseman who can play if there's injuries uh, rather than have a person or rookie sitting here. And then it's it's not ideal for a player who he has played fairly well to be going down to the minors, but I think they'd much rather have him down there playing, except the owners have so many defensemen in the minors, so many of their prospect defensemen. There's only so much room.
1: Yeah, you still want defense- William Ligerson and Jones to play. You still Caleb want to play, to play, you
0: know, Lagason, and you want to play Bouchard. Mm-hmm. You want to play Caleb Jones. You want to play your young defenseman down there too. Um, there's only so much room for those players. But uh, I think it would be better if he's down there. And Larson, when, when I talked to him last, uh, just before they went on the road trip, uh, he said he'd be back in seven to 10 days. So I, I think he'd be ready to play when they go back to San Jose next week.
1: You know, and obviously Ethan Bear was is the one player who was not on the prospect. Stay them. Yeah. them. He came in and you know, uh, barring some strange drop off, Ethan Bear is obviously here to stay at this point.
0: Uh yeah, he's not one of those players that's called up for 20 games and and you could see his ga- the game drop off a little bit last year Jones got ca- called up Caleb and he played well but as it went on his game dropped off a bit playing too many minutes wasn't ready for that bear has played 20 minutes a game almost every game he's been here and, and been just fine so i think he's here to stay uh, and jones has been the best defenseman on the minor league team from the pro scouts who scout the the western uh conference and the farm teams and the you know, Pacific Division, he's been their best defenseman too, so he's not that far away from getting called up either, you know, if there's any injuries, so he's a left shot defenseman though, so he would be a, you know, more of a third pairing guy, but yeah, Bear has saved him, and I, now, now you got to look at Bear, okay, how much do we sign this guy for, for a new contract, you don't want to go whole hog and, and uh, dive in, but you know, if you if you perceive him to be an NHL player now, you to try to lock him up for at least four years.
1: You know, you, we were talking you know talking about the fund injury last year, and when he left the lineup, obviously a hole because he was the defenseman playing the most minutes, top power play. But now you have an Ethan Bear who conceivably would be able to fill that spot, assuming he's able to take on more time. If that did happen, so he,
0: Dave Tippett <laughs> mentioned that last week. When I asked, what about a right shot guy on the point instead of, you know, Oscar Clefbaum and then Darnell Nurse plays in the second pairing with Bear on the points, yeah. a left and a right. What if you just went with Bear on the first pairing uh, as a left shot guy, or a right shot guy rather, because then you've got four left shot forwards. And he thought about it, but he's still playing Oscar Clefbaum there. So, And Oscar's good at it, but a right shot guy would give them a different look. Uh, and and Ethan has, seems to have the ability to walk the line and get the shots through to the net with a wrist shot. So it's worth trying, and I'm sure that as long as it's, you know, as the cliche goes, it ain't broke, they'll stick with Oscar on the point. But if they have a few games where the power play is not quite so good, then maybe we'll see Ethan bear there.
1: You know, I guess overall, I mean, here we are, almost at the quarter point by the time, We do the next podcast next week will be, you know, it'll be quarter of the way through the season. The Oilers are playing better defense and that's, you know, obviously that's an MO of Dave Tippett's teams. They are, expects them to play his system and it's tight defensively. I mean, but hand in hand, and we've been talking about this all season so far, the goaltending has been a major part of that. And that, that, uh, you know, plays into the penalty kill as well. Mind you, you know what the orders did go out and and acquire players, signing or whatever, to address that as well. And we're seeing the benefits, and, and obviously that plays a, a role in their record.
0: Well, I, there's no difference between last year's team and this year's team in terms of Dreisaitl and and Connor McDavid driving the bus. I mean, they're the ones that getting all the, getting the points. Or mm-hmm. you know, Leon leads the league in scoring, and I think Connor is second or third. So. But the penalty killing, which has been bottom, you know, bottom two or three in the league for a couple of years now is nowhere near that. It's much better.
1: Uh, It's top five right now. Top
0: five. So they kill, no matter how many penalties they have to kill in a game, they tend to kill them. And overlooked in the Anaheim game was they killed five penalties and Anaheim didn't score a goal. Now. I'll buy it. Anaheim's got the worst power play in the league. Four goals they've scored all year in a power play. So it's pretty terrible, but they kill the penalties and the goaltending with Koskinen and and Smith. I think you have to give some credit to the coach and Dustin Schwartz for managing the goaltenders. Just playing them a couple of games and then going back to somebody else. I don't know who the goaltender will be tonight, but I presume it'll be Mike Smith uh, after Koskinen's played the last two. And uh, then they'll, when they come back to Edmonton to play two games, uh, I would suspect if if Mike plays good, uh, in San Jose, Mike was in Calgary last year, played against Colorado in the first round of the playoffs, and was excellent against Colorado. So they might play Mike Smith against Colorado as well. So, but they're managing both. I think there's there's save percentages, and. I mean, Koskinen's got a better win-loss thing, but their save percentages are pretty even uh, and the goal averages are pretty even. So that's a huge boon. when It's much the same as it was in, in Long Island last year with Grice and Leonard. You're playing two goaltenders. The, goal, the players in front of them realize that both goaltenders are playing pretty well and there's not a drop-off. It doesn't matter to them which goaltender you play. And in some t- teams, it's like the coach is trying to force feed a goaltender into the games who isn't as playing as well as the other guy just to play two goalies because he doesn't want to get into a situation where he's playing the same goalie over and over and over again. And this is a far cry from those years when Cam Talbot would play you know, four of every five games and if, if it was Laurent Bressois or Al Montoya or, or whomever was, was the backup, they never played. I'm and then the last year they had two goalies with Koskinen and, and Cam but Cam started the season not so well didn't play so well so they did play two goalies but it wasn't a situation where both goalies were you know had the 920 save percentage and it didn't matter which goalie you played
1: actually i think we're wrong about the pk i think it's top it's i think it's in the <laughs> Top, top third
0: ten. of the, it's top top third sure. in the league, top yeah, ten, top third in the league, yeah,
1: pretty close sure. top ten. But it's obviously it's a lot better than it was power last play's year. In
0: second, I think in the
1: league. The power play, yes, they're second behind Boston. They have a you know a lethal power play. I mean, obviously there's James Neal is benefiting from being on the owner's top unit, and there's clearly a lot of scoring going on. And we, yeah, we haven't I had yeah, we hadn't talked about dry Silur McDavid until about this point, I and mean, we've been talking about defense and goaltending and whatnot until now, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously the orders are not where they are unless Dreisaitl and McDavid are scoring at the clip that they are. I mean, the Anaheim game last night, uh, you know, McDavid gets a hat trick, Nugent Hopkins has a pair, but Dreisaitl has four assists in that game. Um,
0: yeah. And I didn't even think it was a dominant game by Leon, he had four assists. Oh, so dear. <laughs> I've seen other games where he's much more dominant might <laughs> get two assists, so that last night's game kind of looked like one of those games where Wayne Gretzky would play and you said you know, at the end of the night he says, it was good but he wasn't great and he still had four points so Leon makes the passes and what Leon has managed to do is always hit Connor in stride so Connor doesn't have to slow down he plays the wing like a center and gives him the puck in flight and then Connor is away to the races so that is why he plays on the line with Connor McDavid. It's a shorter window for for Leon to get the puck to Connor because he's so fast. But in Leon, Leon manages to slow the game down in his own head, I think, and and realizes, okay, I've got, I know here's where Connor's coming from. I'm getting him the puck and I You know, if Leon's not the best passer in the league, he's certainly in the top three, along with, you know, Backstrom and Washington's a tremendous player, passer too, but the passes are, seem to be hitting Connor in flight, which is perfect for him.
1: You know, I know there, are, you know, we talk about well, the Wayne Gretzky teams and the Gretzky years with the Oilers, and that's a completely different era from 30 years ago. But then you know, with the stat that Dreisaitl is the fastest Oiler to score 30 points since Gretzky did it in 87, 88. I mean, that's, it's, it is quite remarkable considering Conor McDavid is in his fifth year playing in the National Hockey League and it's been 30 years and the others have had some scoring types since then. But what does that say about Leon Dreisaitl?
0: Well, I, f- I think there seems to be a concerted effort around the league to finally give Leon the credit he deserves. I mean, last year he didn't even make the second all-star team with 50 goals and 55 assists. He was he voted, voted fourth in voting, for the, for uh, left wing in the National Hockey League behind Ovechkin, uh, Marchant, and Johnny Goodrow, and none of them had fifty. In fact, you know except for Ovechkin. Lot, except for Ovi, but Ovi gets fifty every year. Yeah. But Ovi had eighty nine points, and and Leon had one hundred and five, and missed by you know one goal, and 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 didn't even finish in the top three at left wing. So. That people have been slow to to realize that he's a, a star in his own right, and I think it's you know I guess it's like Malkin in Pittsburgh, and it's certainly like Messi in, in Edmonton, where he played in a line with Glenn Anderson and, and Gretzky and Curry played together, uh, and Messier would come out after Gretzky would, um, you know, to center his own line. So,
1: is that an Eastern bias thing? It has to be. Well, I, I, I mean, the here problem Robinson. is the,
0: the, the games are, are on later. Mm-hmm. By the time the Oilers play, the games start at seven or so. That's nine in the East. Uh, so maybe you watch a period and a half. That's it. You know, it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock. You know, for the most of those people, they're going to bed. So uh, I think it's it's certainly a bearing. I have no problem with Brad Marchand, who I think is a tremendous player himself. And he had 100 points last year. Uh, but I, there's no way that. Leon Settles here last year was was not better than Johnny Goodrow's. I mean, that's nonsense. Uh,
1: but I mean, it could be because he is on the team with McDavid, Goodrow, yeah, I mean. and, and Marshawn, and they and think that ah, uh, he plays with McDavid. So that's teams. why he
0: gets his points, and that's why when Jerry Curry played with Wayne Gretzky, they said it was the same thing. Ah, he plays with Gretzky. How good is he? Mm. You know, he gets all those goals because he plays with Gretzky. Well, if he wasn't good enough to play with Gretzky, he wouldn't be playing with Gretzky. They don't, uh, let's put it this way. They didn't play Nail Yakupov with uh, Connor McDavid. He wasn't good enough. They didn't play Jesse Puyarvi with with uh, Connor McDavid yeah. to any
1: degree. Wasn't good enough, but Leon is. Even though I know he won the Calder last year, so clearly the NHL is aware of Elias Peterson, but I don't think Peterson gets enough you know, recognition either, although. We aren't talking about the Canucks here, we're talking about the Oilers, but I think it's the same thing. They're out in the West, away from you know, Toronto, New York, which you know drives all the media coverage.
0: The Oilers have to stay good in terms of their standing in the league for Leon to get the credit I think he deserves. Mm-hmm. Not only get the points, but the team has to stay relevant. If the team is relevant and as I say winds up with a hundred points and Leon gets his points, then all of a sudden they'll look at the team a little differently. As they looked at the Oilers a couple, very differently in 2016-17 when they got over 100 points, suddenly everybody's saying, "Who? where'd this come from? The Oilers are pretty good. So getting back to Pugliarvi, I guess we should maybe say that he's All now right. said he wants he's to play the whole Finland. year in Finland, and uh, which is fine. Uh, Ken Holland will probably just shrug his shoulders and say, it's good for me. And I don't have to worry about it uh, making a trade in the next three, three weeks, and I'm, you know, because you can't, you know, player or certainly sign him within the next three weeks so he can come back to the NHL that December 1st is the deadline for uh, restricted free agents. So it's fine for Ken. He's the most patient GM I know of if he'll just sit back and say, yeah, fine. And uh, if he wants to be traded, the every which he still seems to want to be, he'll trade him at the draft when he's got more time in his hands and maybe he can get a little bit more. But... You know, there's still this segment of NHL teams, NHL pro scouts are looking at Puliyarvi and they're saying, okay, we see him as a third line National Hockey League player, even if he starts scoring a little bit more. And no matter how many points he gets in Finland, that's great and shows that he can get his points over there. But how does that translate to the NHL? So in terms of what they can get for Puliyarvi, it's a diminishing asset at the NHL level for probably somebody else's diminishing asset. That's the way it'll work. You take our first rounder, we'll take yours and we'll see which one pans out. Now I could be wrong, but that's pr- usually the way it works with a fr- high first round draft pick who hasn't panned out and you take somebody else's, you know, high draft first round pick and see maybe he'll play better for you.
1: Was Robbie Fabry a, a first rounder?
0: Yes, he was. And all they got was Jacob Delarose. And that part of that with Fabi was he said knee problems for mm. a couple of, you know, a couple of knee surgeries, yeah. which they thought slowed him down. So he did, he got a fourth line player back for him. But the Rangers right now have a Swedish player, Elias Anderson, who's seventh overall pick in 2017. Can't seem to get a regular spot there, a Swedish center winger. They're trying to trade him and with, with, you know, Kako, the, their first round pick, a finished player there, they're probably looking at, oh, if we can get another finished player, Broly Harvey, great. But uh, he'll wait till next June, I suspect. Ken Holland.
1: That's the Oil Spills Podcast for today. You can subscribe to Oil Spills via Apple's podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you may access your podcasts.